and you have expertise and a good deal, you want to do the work, then we're a good partnership. But if you and I both don't have money and we, we both just want to find a deal, then that's not a great relationship, right? Because we, like, we are looking for the same thing. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larby. Super excited to have you back again here for another week. And thank you as well for tuning in. And also, if you've reached out to me, thank you. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for sending emails, questions. I love hearing from you and seeing what I can do to help. If you are looking for something a little bit more than just an email, I definitely have some options where we can schedule time either in person or on Zoom. That's all on the website. And if you are interested in any of that, feel free to go to sarahlarby.com and you can browse on the different offerings that there are currently in the process and working on a burr course that has started and that's going to go until february but if you are interested in the next round of the burr small group course let me know and uh, you can reserve a spot for the one that starts in february and guys thank you for also rating reviewing the podcast your comments Instagram messages. I, uh, I love hearing from you and uh, just hearing about your success or your challenges or your struggles and think it's just really important to connect and to, you know, you're not out there. If you're listening to this, you're not out there. There's a lot of people out there that want to network and help you. And, you know, and recently actually I had a, a right club event and there was somebody that came and she started talking to me and she has been to Canada for only three weeks, but was so surprised at how people were willing to share their experience and their knowledge here. And she was mentioning it back home where she comes from. If you tell others about what you're doing, then it's like a competition and people would potentially take your deals because where, where they come from, there's not as many as, as there are here. And I said, well, you know, it's actually, I feel like here anyways, at the right club, people want to help each other out. There's enough to go around. There's enough business to go around that everybody that is willing to take action can take a piece of it. And it is not as cutthroat or as competitive as people think, because ultimately, I, I don't know, maybe it's just being Canadians or just being investors, but I, I like to see others succeed and I like to see others be able to help themselves and their family to, to get to a better financial place. So it is really cool. And it was quite surprising to see that, you know, it's not always the case in different countries and elsewhere that you go. So it just makes me think I'm lucky to be to be in Canada and to be here. So anyways, with that said, I am super excited for you guys to hear Erica's story and how she became a multimillionaire through real estate investing. So uh, so here we go. Welcome, Erica, to the show. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Super excited to have you on the show and the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in real estate and what your strategy is? 
Okay, so my husband Jay and I started in 2015. Uh, we were both working full-time T4 jobs and Jay heard an ad on the radio about investing in real estate and kind of, you know, we started reading books and got kind of down that path and started attending meetings and workshops and just kind of dabbling like everybody does at the beginning. And we started off doing some rent-to-own purchases at the beginning and then started doing some single-family rentals. And then from there, just got into duplexing and just kind of continued and went along with that. That's awesome. So what, what does your portfolio look like today? I, I remember hearing you speak many times and you like you scaled up pretty quickly. I guess our tagline that that uh, has been kind of thrown around is 32 properties in 32 months, which <laughs> uh, was kind of insane. <laughs> but I wouldn't uh, I think if we knew now knew then what we knew now, I don't know if we would have gone as quickly or as kind of as, as hard as we did. But yeah, so we we kept we have a I think we have 26 properties left. So we've sold, you know, the ones that kind of don't sense or didn't cash flow or just for like headache or whatever reason, like, the, you know, joint venture partnerships that ended or, or um, you know, partners that wanted to kind of sell out. So we do have a lot of joint venture properties in our portfolio. Most of them, I would say 90% of our properties are brick bungalows that either have basement apartments or have the capacity to add one at some point. Hmm. Okay. That's quite interesting. So just out of curiosity, you said something that I thought was interesting. I'd like to, to ask you a little bit more about, but you said if you know, or if you knew what you know now, you wouldn't have scaled as fast or done maybe as much as quickly. Give me some examples of why somebody might not want to scale as quickly and maybe some examples of what happened to you. Yeah. I mean, it's just as crazy as it sounds, right? I mean, like we're in year we're in our fourth year now of investing. So we started in 2015 and it's just, you know, having 26 roofs and 26 basements and sometimes like 52 sets of tenants, if they're all duplex, like it, it's just a lot. Right. So, I mean, the portfolio is great in the sense that some of them don't cash flow and some of them cash flow really well. So it balances really well, but I just feel like it's a lot to take on all at once and super quickly. And I feel like people that maybe build a little bit slower, like our, our bookkeeping was a mess for a couple of years. And it's just, I feel like if you build a bit slower, there's more like backend consistency and it's not as stressful. Like, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's been a lot of success for sure, but there's been a lot of like stress obviously too. So I, I feel like people that are kind of like, I have clients now that are slow and steady, you know, buy three or four properties a year and they, they build their portfolio and it's not you know, as intense. <laughs> so yeah, I can't, I can't imagine because, you know, even adding one or two a year, like I do, <laughs> I feel like you have to build new systems often around that. So, yeah. you know, that at your level, like you probably were like, I mean, there's tons of people you've got to hire at some point, right. And yeah. a bookkeeper and like the paperwork piece just scares me. <laughs> I can't even imagine how yeah. you got it done with all of the JVs that you also have, because as you have JVs, like you really have to be you know, on top of that paperwork and, and the reports much, much more than if you were to do it by yourself. Yeah. And I feel like, like now that I have clients that I'm coaching through the process, it's like, it's more fun if it's not so stressful, right? So if you have two or three properties that you're adding a year, it's more slow and steady. Like you're not doing, you know, three or four renovations at the same time and you're not filling five or six properties. The other thing I feel like if Jay and I were not in full-time like career-wise also in the business then it would be more of like a, an offshoot of our nine to five job right like when we started i was a biologist and he was in pharmaceutical and then we 
kind of did the, you know, quit our jobs and, and dove full-time into real estate. So, I mean, I definitely love having the clients and being a realtor and coaching people, but it, it's, uh, it, it's 24 seven. Like if it's not us, it's someone else. And it, it's, just, it's a lot for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. bet. So, so obviously you scaled up quickly and you scaled up using a lot of joint venture partners. Mm-hmm. How did you find the joint venture partners and how did you structure a lot of your JV deals? So we are members of Rockstar Real Estate. So we started off as investors and now we're both realtors and coaches of Rockstar. So a lot of our network and, and communication and, and kind of learning came from being part of that network. I mean, at the same time, we were going to um, the real estate investment network meetings, uh, going to meeting or sorry, meetups. And like we started our own group and stuff like that. So I feel like at the beginning, we try to network as much as possible, go to as events as possible. But a lot of our, our partners, we met through like classes at Rockstar or other networking events where it's just like people are looking for either money or expertise in terms of joint venture. So when we first started, we were super eager and really aggressive. And that was attracted to folks that had money to put as much energy into the deal. So they were seeing us as like, wow, look at these like you know, insane people <laughs> they're running around buying five houses a month kind of thing. So, and at first we were like, man, like, why do these people want to partner with us? Like, we don't know what we're doing quickly. They do it a few times. You, you become the expert very quickly. You can do it successfully. People are attracted to that because there's a lot of investors that have been around for a while, but just either have analysis or just don't, don't pull that trigger. So they're just kind of like, I don't know, couch potato investors. So I feel like if you're taking action and you're meeting people and you're doing things, then then it's attractive to those people that have money and are maybe further along in life and would rather just be working for them, but they don't want to run around dealing with tenants and work, right? So it's really attractive to those people to have a working partner that that is making their portfolio work already. So it's your kind of tried, tested, and true. People will just be like, here's my money, make me more money kind of thing. And we found that as we went on, we're able to attract the partners that way. Did mostly 50-50 in the beginning where the investor put the funds, we would take title, uh, and we would be like the working partner with no capital investment in the deal, just basically like the sweat equity kind of boots on the ground kind of thing. And then as that kind of went on, like now we joint ventures, but don't take title. Really love when you have so many help don't lend to people like us. So we're not taking title. We're not often putting money into deals, more just like the offering of the like property management component or the expertise, like the working partner. And we're, we're doing joint ventures now that are less of a split, like more like a 25 or 30% um, split of equity and monthly cash flow, but less skin in the game. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buy my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. 
And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that, and B, I didn't have 35% to put down, I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Okay, so you were holding the mortgages before, essentially. Now you're no longer doing that. You're finding the properties, you're managing the properties, and you're taking 25 to 30%. The person that's bringing in the money and the financing takes the rest. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. Okay, that's great. So obviously you've, you've done this now for, for four years. You probably had many JV partners. What are some things to look for to find that right partner? Because a lot of people will maybe want to joint venture, but there are pros and cons to joint venturing. I personally, I'm pretty picky on who I would joint venture with personally, if I were to joint venture with somebody, but you've got a lot of experience in that realm. What are some good ideas of joint venture partners for you? And what are some JV partners that you might say, "Hmm, you know what, this person doesn't fit, you know, well in my realm of what I consider a joint venture partner that I want to work with. And then what does that look like? Yeah. So we definitely kind of learned along the way because in the beginning it was like, oh yeah, like people are giving us all the money and, and what, what could go wrong kind of thing. But you're definitely right. You need to partner with someone that you can work with because it, it's a it's a close working relationship, even if it's not, right? Like even if you have a partner that's not overly interested in seeing the property or coming monthly to meet the tenants or whatever, like you still have an ongoing relationship. So we had, look, we've had joint ventures that, that just didn't work out. And I mean, we sold one property after a year just because it was just like not a great working relationship. And we just, you know, parted ways and, and both made a good chunk of money, but we just realized that it, it wasn't a good partnership. So, I mean, now what we look for and what I tell my clients too, best way to describe the perfect joint venture relationship, in my opinion, is each partner has to offer something that the other partner is lacking. So if I have money and you have expertise and a good deal, you want to do the work, then we're a good partnership. But if you and I both don't have money and we, we both just want to find a deal, then that's not a good relationship, right? Because we, like, we are looking for the same thing. So you kind of have to be able to feel a need for your partner. And it's like, two puzzle pieces kind of clicking together, right? So if you can each kind of scratch each other's back and fill a need that the other person is, is looking for, then that's 
great partnership for sure. It's really hard if both partners want like working control, right? So if each partner has contact with the tenants and each partner has contact with the tradesmen and, and ongoing bank account kind of track, it becomes a bit redundant and you're kind of stepping on each other's toes, right? So if each of you guys are calling a plumber and each of you guys are dealing with the tenants every month, it just becomes confusing, right? So it has to be like a very clear delineation of roles where I'm going to deal with the tenants. If there's any issues, maintenance wise, tenant wise, I got it. You just kind of, you know, take the cash flow and enjoy the thing. And maybe on the next deal, you and I switch roles and you're in charge of that house and those tenants and those maintenance problems. And I'll take kind of a back seat. So even if you have the same skill set, it, there definitely has to be someone that's kind of more managing and more equal and person that kind of just sits back more of the silent partner. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would say is you have to have recommendation is also to have somebody that has the same time horizon as you, right? So somebody that has five or seven year time frame that doesn't need necessarily the money today if that's not the way that you want to invest. So I think the strategy is really important and the time horizon as well. I don't know what your take is on that as well. Yeah, for sure. So I mean we started off doing most of our joint ventures are five year um, terms and they match the mortgage term, but we just had a joint venture partnership that uh, matured after three years and we like were kind of taken by surprise because we were just thinking that all of our joint ventures were five years, but one of our first ones was three. So when the partner kind of called us in the spring and was like, oh, you know, the partnership's done, like, you know, like the term is done. What should we do? Like, do you guys want to renew? Do you want to sell? Do you want to like, you know, what are the options here? And we were like, oh man, like that went by really quickly. Like three years is, is not a long partnership at all. So we actually ended up selling that property and uh, kind of going our separate ways, just, just kind of the way it worked out. So, I mean, definitely a very important point for sure. Like our partnerships now, we have one partner that we own seven houses with and, and he's in it for the long term, right? Like we've bought some properties at the height of the market. We've put capital investments into doing renovations and they're not properties that, you know, we're going to see a huge appreciation on quickly. But if we hold them, you know, five to 10 years, longer even, uh, it'll be a really lucrative relationship for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's really interesting. Now, when you talk through a joint venture agreement with a potential joint venture partner, are you putting together um, everything that you're saying in writing? Like, what does that look like before you go ahead and purchase and close on that property? Yeah. So we definitely have a joint venture agreement that's been a, a working document over the past like four years that we've been using it. We've in every relationship, given our agreement that we were using to the, the potential partner, they've taken it to their lawyer who's, you know, made changes, torn it apart, edited it the way that they saw fit. So the document that we're currently using has probably been through five or six different lawyers, different iterations. We've added things that we've seen in other people's agreements that we really like. So, I mean, I think now our agreement is about 15 pages and it's always a working document. I mean, even last year we went through and, and just kind of added a clause that we wanted to add and just kind of, you know, amended it and everybody re-signed it. So I feel like it's always a document in progress. It's, it's not, you know, it needs to be changed as, as relationships change, as the landlord tenant act changes, as mortgage rules change, like kind of everything that affects properties and joint venture relationships. So yeah, we, we definitely have a document that uh, it, we're adding to every year. Okay. Amazing. And you mentioned some clauses that you changed, like give me an example or give the listeners maybe an example of a clause that maybe when you had first started, you didn't think of adding, but now with experience, you're like, I definitely need to have this clause in the JV agreement. Um, well, the one that went through and added was about, like we realized 
kind of along with the properties we own and others that we manage that cost advertising on Kiji and, and things like that are actually more than expected, right? So, I mean, we just kind of added a clause about that so that it's clear that, that those type of expenses come from the joint venture account, like the management partner is not responsible for, for covering all those additional charges, right? And I mean, as you get more sophisticated, there's software that's used to collect rents and things like that. So, I mean, some months we're spending a lot on advertising and filling in all, in all that kind of cost. So that's the one that we went through and added. That's probably more unique to us with the, the property management component of our business, but I think like we, we have a lot of text around the exit strategies, right? So like the, the shotgun clause, like at the termination of a JV, like make it very clear the procedure that happens. So if one partner says, you know, I'd like to go buy a house in Italy, like I want all my money liquidated, like I'd like to end this agreement, like it has to be extremely clear what that process is. Like, are we each going to get separate appraisals and meet in the middle? Is it going to be something different than that? Like how to dissolve the JV is as important as how to start the JV, right? Because I mean, the end of the story is it needs to be um, a positive working relationship, I think, at the end. So I, I feel like as long as it's all documented very clearly, then then that is what you want to see for sure. Yeah, some great advice. So somebody's starting out, where can they find this JV agreement? I mean, obviously, some investors have them already made up. But if you're starting out, like, how would you recommend that they find the proper agreement and sit down and is it with a lawyer that they would sit down with their partner that they would sit down, write all the clauses that they want or how would you suggest they best do that? I mean, there's probably, you can always find like templates online. You can, you know, talk to other investors. Lots of people may not share what they're using. I mean, we share, you know, what we have always get it reviewed by a lawyer. Like I feel like I wouldn't start with a lawyer cause you don't want to pay legal fees to have someone reinvent the wheel. Like I would try and find maybe three or four different JVs and kind of pick and choose the clauses or the terms or the wording that you like as an investor. And then then definitely the last step is have, have like the lawyer that you trust most review it and then make sure that you're entirely comfortable with it. And then when you partner up, same thing, the other investor uses their own lawyer and gets independent legal advice and, and everybody's kind of comfortable with what they're signing. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice, Erica. So now are you setting up corporations for for this or are you putting your own name i'm gonna i'm gonna guess it's corporations but i'll let you answer and then maybe as to why yeah so we have that's like one of the biggest questions when you start out in real estate and then as you kind of go along is do we incorporate when do we incorporate and how many corporations do we need i feel like i get that question all the time and i feel like every accountant that you speak to has a completely different answer. <laughs> so it's one of those kind of questions that you maybe ask 10 times, ask 10 different people, and then kind of figure out what works best for you. So for us, we did the, um, we started after we bought one property, we incorporated and we were doing trust agreements. So we we're buying properties kind of in trust for the corporation. I think there's some rules that have changed since we started that, that makes that not as easy to do and i feel like it's um a tax loophole that was kind of changed so some of our most of our properties are in our names personally but they are in trust of the corporation so all the um proceeds and and rents and profits flow through the corporation we also try to do that three-tiered kind of approach that is often taught in real estate workshops and seminars and is talked about where you have 
basically three corporations and then the funds are moving between corporations and, and the, the goal before we get too complicated is to create active income because active income is is taxed at a lower rate than passive income that's difficult to achieve with rental properties and, and we've kind of found that as we went along so our corporate structure is a little bit messy and our current accountant doesn't love that we have multiple corporations. Um, I think he would prefer that we would have one corporation with sub-corporations, but it is what it is. And the thing that I always kind of muse about is when you open a corporation, it costs you about $1,500 to $2,000 to open the corporation. And then each year you need to have a corporate tax filing. So I don't know in the four years of having corporations and paying tax filings that we've saved as much as it cost us to get to that structure. That's kind of a hard evaluation to, to kind of figure out. I feel like if people are going to buy multiple properties and going to continue along that route of becoming an investor and buying and selling properties, it might be wise to have one corporation. The other major argument that I hear that people believe, and I think it's a misinterpretation is that a corporation protects you with liability and that's not necessarily true what protects you with liability is liability insurance like property insurance so we we said from the beginning too that you know if you're incorporated you can't be sued personally if anything happened and when we spoke with our lawyer about that he said that that is not necessarily a true statement right so i mean if we were to have an incident where there was somebody was sued then it would be your liability insurance are covered. So I think there's a, a bunch of like things that people think may not be true. So definitely ask questions and look at your own kind of situation to determine if corporation is in fact the way to go. Yeah. Everyone's going to be a different case, right? And every answer is going to be different. And even if you ask your mortgage broker, your insurance person, your accountants and your lawyer, they're going to give you an answer whether or not to incorporate that property or to incorporate in general. And it's just so individual. I feel like it's not like the US, like sometimes we just learn a lot of the US stuff, maybe through podcasts or different books. And like, they just have a whole different system and, you know, LLCs and everything else. And it's, it's just so different in Canada and it's never going to be a straight answer. And we definitely started off with the big US podcast, because I feel like in the past four years, podcasting has become extremely trendy and popular, but started, it was like, Bigger Pockets was one of the major ones, and that's very U.S.-based, right? So, I mean, a lot of our knowledge was started there, and it's sometimes hard, yeah, to train U.S. to Canadian for sure. So, I feel like going to events and talking to different investors and different professionals and just getting, like, a, you know, kind of a multitude of opinions and then deciding for yourself, like, what works best is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So, are you still in St. Catharines? Is that where your the majority of your properties are? St. Catharines? We found a lot of challenges as we went along. Um, we definitely started in St. Catharines. We've made a lot of equity appreciation in St. Catharines because the St. Catharines has definitely increased in value and appreciated over the past four years significantly. We've kind of moved along the curve and we're investing a lot in Welland. We're living in the Port Colborne area. So we're just kind of backing out that way, like just kind of moving along with the boom kind of thing. In August, the Toronto Star had a big article about how Welland is poised to boom with the go and, and urban sprawl and, you know, just kind of everything that's going on. So we've been in Welland for a few years. I've been getting some clients of mine to kind of come out for Colburn Way and kind of, you know, see, see where maybe the next area to boom might be. So I've been kind of a little bit, but yeah, definitely St. Catharines is where we started. It's just 
there to do sets and suites. And a lot of fellow investors, colleagues, clients have really come up against a, a, a really definite like brick wall in St. Catharines. And the market's also become very saturated in terms of renting. So when you have an ad on Kijiji, there's 47 others that are very similar. So it, it it's uh, the competition is definitely a little more cutthroat than it was four years ago. So we just kind of try to stay ahead of that curve. Yeah, that's that's amazing and great advice. I, I do have, I am looking into well and with some students of mine as well. It just seems like a great obvious next place. Kind of like originally I picked Brantford because I'm like, ah, it's close to Hamilton, you know, and did well in Brantford over the years. I mean, Hamilton too, nothing, uh, <laughs> nothing against Hamilton, just the prices for Brantford versus Hamilton when I first started were a little bit less than Brantford. Yeah. And I keep hearing that what about Brantford question and I feel like people like you that were in Brantford early did really well I had a couple clients that were in Brantford but I feel like that was I don't know if Brantford even yet does have its own Kijiji page but I feel like that's a big kind of thing with looking for new places to invest like where you're going to advertise but I also feel like that marketplace Facebook marketplace has really taken huge kind of leaps and bounds over Kijiji and I, and people that are using Facebook marketplace are having more success even, even now than, than Kijiji. So Brantford's a great market. Hamilton for sure. Like I tried, I stayed out of Hamilton in 2017 when the market was bonkers, <laughs> but definitely back in that space. And there's still some great deals to be had in Hamilton and some areas that are still up and coming, revitalizing. Still there's, there's lots of boom to happen in Hamilton, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually where I bought the last triplex. But Brantford does have its own Kijiji page. And I think that's an important piece as well, just because it's easier if it has its own Kijiji page for that market. I mean, most of my, I would say all of my tenants actually came from Kijiji. And and there's a lot of them and a lot of the the market out there is on Kijiji. And I don't know about the Facebook thing. I don't have, like, I don't really have Facebook still. I have it, but I barely go on it. But like, that's a great other avenue as well. It sounds like it. I've heard that a few times too. Yes, yeah, I feel like very like recently, like in the past six months, there's there's been kind of a bit on Facebook. I know like my husband Jay does property management, and I think he's using he's definitely obviously still uses Kijiji, but Facebook Marketplace being free and easy to post on and very shareable. I know that that people are really kind of going that way as well. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to phase out Kijiji because it's still a great place to to rent properties, but it's nice to have other options and nice to have options that you don't have to pay for. Because I mean if you're advertising one or two properties on Kijiji, it's free. But if you're posting, you know, 17 properties, you, you're definitely in that like this part of it. And it, it yeah, once you're, you know, bumping properties and you know, trying to keep your ad current. Yeah. Great points. So Erica, what's the next step for you? Like, where are you going next? Where I'm in the middle of uh, building a, trying to build a fourplex in Port Colburn. So people always ask us like, how many properties do you want to buy? What's the end goal? And I've never had an answer for that to me as long as it makes sense I want to keep going so I don't think I want to buy you know 30 more brick bungalows in the Niagara region I feel like that's getting a little tiresome and I, I mean I, I think we've done that and it's working well and it's great but I kind of you know you kind of there's a trajectory of, of you, know, you kind of expand and kind of what's the next step and I feel like an investor goes to small multifamilies to larger multifamilies and, and then maybe pulls out money and, and gets into private lending like that's kind of how I see the trajectory so a year ago we bought a bakery in Port Colburn and it was kind of an impulse buy and it it just kind of happened like it was a great buy in terms of it was a building as well as a business that was thriving for five years the price was was a great price point like we got it low four thousands we bought the house next door and then we had this idea to sever the lot and maybe build family home for sale and then i was thinking like we're really 
like, why wouldn't we build do you know duplex? So I went to the city and I said I want a duplex. I you know, I would like to sever this lot and this lot store and make a lot and and build a duplex. And the planner for Colburn is very progressive and very there's not a lot of housing. So the planner is young and really um, enthusiastic and really pro development. So he basically I left the meeting with the intention to build a fourplex because he said, well, the rules are pretty much the same. You already have to go for a variance, you know, this, that, this, that, and the other. If you wanted to build a triplex or a fourplex, like, you know, we would be supportive of that. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. So I left the house and told Jay that I was going to talk to the city about building a duplex and they came home with the plans to build a fourplex. <laughs> so <laughs> right now we're in, it's been a year of, of back and forth meetings, many of adjustments, council meetings, drawings, like it, it's, it's a lengthy process but I love it because it's all new and you learn as you go and it's not difficult and as, as long as you talk to the right people and and you know go through the process there's a ton to be learned and I really have been enjoying that because I can help my clients through that process as well right I mean it's like I've never done a build before I've never done anything start to finish and, and the permitting process alone is scary but once you're kind of in it like it, it, it all makes sense so that's our next kind of foray so yeah we're hoping to get permits in place and start building in the spring and it's going to be two three-bedroom units and two two-bedroom units all separately metered separate hvac i think we're going to get probably 5500 to 5800 in rent for the building which is great numbers i mean for port colburn um people kind of think it's a, a sleepy one-horse town but the the rental market here is actually fantastic and uh like we're finding that it's it's a really great market to be in so i'm kind of excited about that project yeah it sounds awesome i uh, i can't wait to hear more about it actually it's always it, you know i feel like it's a great trajectory i mean you started with the, the bungalows and the duplexes small multifamily. you're building something um you know it is really cool to see your progress throughout just a short four years like you haven't been doing this for that long but you've been so immersed in it that your your trajectory was just uh insanely fast but i'm sure you've learned tons and tons along the way and now it's really cool to see that you're also coaching and you're helping others do the same as well how long have you been a coach for so i kind of quit my job three years in february i think and i got my license in 2016 so i joined rockstar as a coach and agent in august of 2016 so yeah just just three years but it's kind of neat because i say to my clients like everyone thinks that you know, to kind of have the quick success or the, the quick growth that we experienced that we must have started off with money or we must have, you know, there must be a reason. And my favorite thing to tell people is that, no, like we were just normal people working for the man nine to five. Like I used to work in a cubicle, you know, making like a decent salary, but like nothing that was going to, you know, it was nothing to write home about. Right. So, I mean, at that point it was like, everyone feels that like humdrummy kind of like dragging your butt to work kind of thing. And then we found real estate investing and we were like, wow, like just buying a couple properties can really change your life and change your legacy and, and change things for your kids. It's exciting. Right. So, I mean, I love to tell my clients, it's like three years ago, I was on your side of the table. Like I was asking questions and I knew nothing about real estate, nothing about investing. And and you just do it and you you learn as you go and sure you can make mistakes but i my my mentality was always like well what's the worst that could happen like we have to sell the property like and we have we've bought a few that were oh you know like this property didn't work out the way we thought and so we sell it like i mean it's it's not it's not an irreversible process sure you can lose money but i mean we've made a lot of money too right so i mean 
at the end of the day, Jay was always the very slow and steady, let's do the analysis, let's do the numbers. And I was like, let's just go and do it. Like, let's just jump in and do it. So we've really balanced each other out. But for, for people that are on the fence, it's just kind of like, it doesn't take much to learn. Like read some books, talk to some people. You don't need to start off with a lot of money. Like we, we took money out of our meager RSPs that were like, I think I had $11,000 in my RSP. <laughs> That's what I took out and kind of just some money makes more money and you just keep going. And that saying, I've heard it so many times where it's like, you know what, just find the deal and the money will come. And I used to bang my head against the wall and just, you know, how does that even make sense? That's the dumbest thing. Where does the money come from? But it truly is. Like we've, we've bought houses that I'm like, you know what? This house is great. Like great exit strategy, great potential, great price. Like we just have to buy it conditional and figure it out. So there's been days where I've had three days to, to come up with a partner or come up with money. And it happens because if you have something red hot, you have a network and you have people to talk to, you can find a partner and you can make it work. So we just kind of just kept going. I mean, without risk, there's no success, right? So I mean, it's just, a, I feel like you just kind of have to go with it and which maybe isn't great advice, but that's how I think. <laughs> so yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and even private money, I mean, work with a good mortgage broker, oftentimes they'll have access to other money lenders or, you know, people that are wanting to loan out at 10% or whatever that amount is for the right deal. I truly believe that like money is actually a lot easier to find than people think, but you just have to network and you have to have some, some good people on your side, AKA a mortgage broker. But there's a lot of people that are out there that that's what they want to do because they want to be passive and they just want to loan other money and not be active partners. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, having that dream team, like it's so cliche, but it literally is make it or break it in this industry. Like you, I've met one person in three years that was doing it on their own. Like an investor who I was like, Oh, let's use this mortgage broker. Like who's your home inspector? Who's your lawyer? And the guy was like, no, I I don't use anybody in a network. Like I, I just have my own people. And I mean, at that point he probably built his own kind of circle, but usually when you meet an investor, it's very typical that like, Oh, you know, I've, I've gone to there's programs that people pay tons of money for and they get great coaching and, and you know what I mean? You can go that route or you can come to like great events. Like you have a great event. We have a small event in St. Catharines, like free ones or, you know, lower cost ones that you can meet the same quality of people without spending $25,000 um, really in a room where we're inspired, learn a lot and talk with professionals and just be part of a network. But I truly have only met one person that did not, kind of invest that way and and still was successful but even just for the nights when you're awake at two in the morning worrying about how many properties there are how many problems there are this tenant or that tenant like you just need people to kind of bounce stress off of like that we have a an investor facebook group through rockstar and it's uh people post like oh where do i find this you know this tradesman or i have this problem going on like just to kind of commiserate with other investors or ask for advice that that is such an important process. And I feel like without that, a lot of people give up early in their career or they, they just don't push themselves because of fear, right? Like fear, fear is such a crippling barrier. I feel like you just need that network and you need that dream team to, to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just being able to ask a couple questions here and there and avoid some potential costly mistakes, but I definitely would not be here where I am today if I didn't have a team in place of people that are much smarter than me, good mortgage broker, good accountant, a good lawyer, people like you said to bounce off ideas off, off of because there's a lot of blind spots that you might not even think about and somebody else might question you on it and maybe that 5-minute conversation saves you thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Cause we're not reinventing the wheel, right? Like people 
have been at it for a lot longer than you I. They're, you know, a lot further ahead in their investing careers. And, and it, it's great to learn from those people. But then it's also to meet people that are like, oh, you know, I'm 60 and I'm buying my first property. I wish I would have started at your age, right? I'm sure you hear that all the time too. And I hear mm-hmm. that literally start at any point in your life with pretty much any amount of money. Like, I mean, we have clients that are like, hey, well, you know, self-employed, I don't I don't have any say, like, can I still be an investor? And yeah, for sure you can. Are you willing to, do Are you willing to work hard, find deals, you know, manage properties, learn and go? Like, th- there's definitely something for everyone. And I'm, it, it, you know, starting off with a pile of money and, and knowing everything is, you know, awesome too, but that doesn't really happen, <laughs> right? So I feel like you just have to kind of go with it and, and just connect with the right people. Yeah, very, very well said. Absolutely. So we can keep talking about this. I I would love to have you on the podcast again, because there's probably a ton more that we can dig into. But the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. So Eric, I'm going to ask you five questions. All the investors on the podcast get the same five and you can answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I really like, I think it's called Investing for Canadians by Peter Kinch. I think it's the first book that Jay and I read. We met with our, our, um, our real estate coach and like we went to Mexico the day after and read that book and it was very awesome and inspiring. And obviously that one and then the Kawasaki Bible, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad are the two top for me. Okay. Awesome. What about your favorite podcast? Uh, besides yours, um, <laughs> there's that. No, there's lots of good podcasts. Bigger pockets, I still enjoy. I don't, to be honest, I don't listen to a lot of podcasting. I like to sit in my car and listen to, to music and, and not podcasts and talking, but I love Tom and Nicholas' podcast at Rockstar. There's just pretty awesome and hilarious. Rob Brake has a podcast. Yeah, I think those are the top three. Yeah. All right, great, great choices. So, what do you do for fun? Question number three, aside from real estate. <laughs> uh, I don't really do anything but real estate. Um, I like to work out and spend time with my kids, but I, I think probably 80% of my time is real estate related in one way or another. All right. Question number four, Erica, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? That's a good one. I don't know. Buy more real estate, figure out, make relationships, offer time for money, right? I mean, without money, you can still kind of scrape together joint venture relationships. I feel like real estate is where it's at one way or another, and you can build quickly that way too. Okay. And the last question, if somebody has $50,000 and want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? I would probably buy a single family home turnkey and do a rent to own in a market that is not appreciating extremely quickly at the current time. 50,000, like you're in a lower bracket, either that or find another friend that has 50,000 and buy a property. Okay. Awesome. Where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? They can look me up through Rockstar or I guess we can put my email and, and contact information at the end. Is that what you're looking for? Or Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And any final last words of advice for the listeners? Just do it. I feel like that that's my motto in life. Get over the fears and just pull the trigger and, and start. Don't wait to see what the market's doing. Don't wait to see what next year brings. Just there's a cheesy line about it's time in the market, not timing the market. So, I mean, two years from now, people are all going to be kicking themselves if they didn't start two years before. Absolutely. You know, you've just said two of my favorite saying, just do it. And it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. 
two of my favorite things. So anyways, on that note, Erica, thank you so much for being on Where Should I Invest? It was a pleasure having you and congratulations on all your success. Thanks so much, Sarah. Nice talking to you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest. 